Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I'm Joanne Kwai, your host for today. I'm a PhD candidate at Karlstad University in Sweden and an affiliated PhD with the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. Joining me today is Ting Ting Hu, an assistant professor at the Department of Media and Communication at Xi'an Jiaotong Liverpool University. Her research interest lies in the articulation of film, media, and cultural studies with feminist theories and transmedia studies in various social and cultural contexts. Today, we'll first discuss her book, Victims, Perpetrators, and Professionals, The Representation of Women in Chinese Crime Films, published by Sussex Academic Press in 2021, and later on, some of her latest research on the transmedia third space, The Countercultural of Chinese Boys' Love Audio Dramas. Tingting, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, hello, Joe. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm really happy to discuss with my book with you and audience. Thank you so much. So before we dive into the book, would you please tell us a little bit of your professional background? What has led you to your current research interest? And how did you come to study gender and films and cultural studies? It was quite a complicated long story. I completed my master's degree in the UK in 2011. And at that time, I started to work as an account executive at a global PR agency in Beijing. I was around 25 to 26. At that time, similar to many young women uh, living in the top city in China, I feel pretty confident and ambitious. I was because I was well educated and I had a decent job and I work in Beijing. Even though I got a lot of pressure from my work and I usually work over time in the PR industry, I was very dedicated in becoming a professional lady and maybe became a director or vice president someday. I settled down in Beijing in 2012 and I got together with a bunch of my girlfriends and they started to introduce me some single men for potential relationships. I'm so surprised. However, I was not interested and uh, I still prefer to focus on my job and work towards the promotion. However, my girlfriends still persistently and continuously persuade me to find a boyfriend as soon as possible and get married as soon as possible. According to them, they were like, um, it would be harder to find a good man when you get older and uh, useless to spend too much time on work and the men do not like it. And they also told me that it's practical to depend on a man rather than on my own work and so on. So this kind of persistent persuasion stayed with me for the following three years. And I was so surprised that the traditional Chinese gender stereotype were still so firmly engraved in this white-collar women's mind in the 21st century. So at that time, I started to question myself, if women could not recognize the social value of our own, then who can? And another thing came into my mind is a very interesting movie, very popular movie titled Love is Not Blind. That movie screened in mainland China in 2011. And uh, at that time, many Chinese girls who were uh, single and in their late 20s talk about this movie. And that movie primarily depicted the female characters, a 27-year-old woman who lived in Beijing and uh, breaking up with her boyfriend of seven years after witnessing him on a date with her best friend. And that girl was heartbreaking and uh, felt very depressed. And she also ran into some problems at work. 
she is helped by a male colleague who finally became her、uh, lover, boyfriend, and、uh, uh, savior. Personally, for me, that movie was just a very boring and cliche romance, but it seems to spark a lot of girls' imagination and the desire for a male savior, a male lover, to help them to solve all the problems, both in the working area and domestic area. So at that time, as a moviegoer and a film critic, I started to have some questions in my mind, like、um, how did this movie arouse and resonate with so many girls' romantic dreams? So do these commercial movies truly reflect the majority people's attitude toward love, relationship, and gender? All these films meant to convey the particular messages and the sense that the filmmakers want the public to know. So if so. As there are so many Chinese commercial movies representing the weak, vulnerable, and dependent、uh, female characters, does this phenomenon actually reflect the social expectations for us? With these questions in my mind, I started to ask the similar questions to my、uh, girlfriends living in Beijing about the、uh, female representations in Chinese films. I heard a lot of answers. And I was very surprised to learn that they believe professional women were frequently well represented as independent and having high working capacities. However, for me, in my own opinion, I highly doubt this argument because it was totally different and completely opposite to my own impression that I gained from my daily、uh, view, a、uh, film viewing experience, especially in、uh, Chinese crime films and thrillers, and as well as gangster movies. So that was the very preliminary idea came into my mind when I started to pay attention to the female representations in Chinese films. And you started、uh, studying this subject, and it later became the book that was published in twenty、uh, one. And how did the book come into being? Like. What are some key findings and arguments in this book? The original idea of this book was coming from my master thesis. At the end of 2014, I resigned my job from the Global PR Agency in Beijing and started to pursue the master research degree in Australia as a research training pathway to my PhD. And that master project examined the representation of female victims, particularly in Chinese crime films, in Hong Kong crime films. And、uh, that project found the victimization of female protagonists in this genre often operates as a、uh, catalyst to motivate the romantically involved、uh, male protagonists to make better moral choices. So in 2016, I started my PhD, and I further topic. Of my、uh, master thesis by extending the research scope to include、uh, the film made in mainland China and to analyze various types of uh, uh, female characters beyond victims, such as、uh, police women,、uh, perpetrators, and professionals. And this book is actually、uh, based on my PhD thesis, and it explores the cinematic representations of women in relation to violence in a broader、uh, genre of、uh, crime films. This pathway from the thesis to book is a quite a challenging and enlightening one, and、uh, I enjoyed it immensely. And not only because I rewrote and reorganized all these materials and data and transfer these materials into a book form, but also because I think I'm contributing to this gender and feminist-related scholarship and literature beyond Chinese context. And why did you choose crime, the genre of film, as the subject of studies? The reason I chose crime genre, particularly because it closely related to the、uh, representation of、uh, violence in these films. First of all, I think the violence is usually appearing in these crime films, 
as a kind of uh, aesthetic strategy to attract audience attention. It can be explained by Foucault's concept of a spectacle of scaffold. And this concept is used to describe the torture and execution carried out by the authority in public as a means to showcase their authoritative power and to reinforce their role and dominance. So this notion can also describe the relationship between the authoritative power that lies behind the production of a film and uh, viewers who are get together to watch these films. So this concept also can help us to understand the, the sense that the cinematic representation of uh, violence can be displayed as a kind of a social power. And this social power can utilize the narrative strategy to softly cultivate the public perception of reality among the audience and the readers. So in this book, social power is particularly referring to the patriarchal power that expresses the ideology of male dominance. And secondly, violence in films has used as a catalyst for narration and aesthetic spectacle to dramatize the stories and the plots and uh, conflicts between characters. And uh, the representation of violence against women by women is the focus that I analyze in this book. And I'm trying to analyze whether they can act as the uh, markers of a feminist power or progress or not, or perhaps uh, whether we can understand them as a kind of uh, a regressive or dominant ideology construction of violence and uh, gender issues under the disguise of uh, the seemingly liberative and uh, subversive fantasies. And in your studies, in what ways do the representation of these females in relation to violence in this Chinese crime film reflect some of the traditional Chinese values or even the contemporary Chinese social cultural norms? In my book, I actually uncovered three particular types of female representations, female characters in Chinese crime films, including victims and uh, perpetrators, as well as professionals. So for victims, it's quite easy to be understood that uh, these kind of uh, victimized women are heavily objectified for male spectators to gaze at and consume, which supports a sense of a male hegemony. And I also further argue that the excessive representation of a female victim can be seen as kind of complying with male requests and tolerant to male violence. And uh, this representation is uh, shown as a strategy for the women to survive in the patriarchal order. And uh, this representation also functions to attribute the cause of a female, their own victimization to the women herself. Overall, this study also uh, engaged with the traditional fusion value that placed the female victim in the uh, inferior position in the domestic area. And this kind of uh, commercial mainstream Chinese crime films explicitly expressed the sense of misogyny and advocate male dominance. So that's quite obvious uh, findings for this type of uh, female representation. And uh, about the perpetrator, I uncovered two types of female perpetrator, which are passive perpetrator and active perpetrator. The passive perpetrator mainly refers to women who is forced to use violence for self-defense, while the active perpetrator means the woman who actively uses violence to attack others, but not for self-defense. So in Chinese crime films, the passive female perpetrator of violence does not actually challenge the 
stereotypical female image of being tolerant, obedient, sacrificial in face of male violence. The passive side is shown through the women's vulnerability under the male dominance, either physically or emotionally. Well, the active side is displayed through their pre-planned violent revenge against the male authority. However, no matter what origin intention leads the women to the violent activity against men, they cannot escape from the male oppression or tragic end, which may uh, include the death, imprisonment, or the loss of uh, their loved ones. So, in contrast, uh, the act of female uh, perpetrator of violence. Mainly refers to someone who kills people for reasons other than self-defense, and this type of female characters is not very common in Chinese crime films. They tend to be represented through some uh, uh, more subtle strategies, such as shooting or stabbing, and、uh, the reason for their violent、uh, activities tend to be related to their problematic desire, including desiring for money, desiring for power. And、uh, these transgression usually leads to the、uh, tragic ending for the female characters. So overall, a woman who dare to use violence either for self-defense or for any other reason must be put down and have a tragic ending as long as she dare to challenge the male、uh, superiority. For、uh, female professionals,、uh, these kind of、uh, female characters. Are not、uh, directly involved in any violent activities, although they might be involved in the criminal activities. And a police woman is the most uh, frequent uh, uh, portrait of a female professional in crime genre. And、uh, I found that the police woman tends to be placed in between position, where she is highly professional in her work, yet remains. Uh, under control of her male counterparts, who appear to be、uh, her supervisor, her colleague, or her rival. Therefore, I also argue that the competence and professionalism of、uh, police women are represented as a showcase of female empowerment through the professional attributes. However, the police woman's suppression by their male partner, her、uh, victimization, and her final salvation by male hero. Relocate her back to the inferior position in her workplace, or back to the domestic private space. The final kind of female professionals I analyzed is the rule breaker. The rule breaker usually cross the、uh, legal or moral boundaries and dare to break the rules of industry and their professions. Although this type of female、uh, protagonist. Uh, is deeply involved in the criminal activities. They are kept at a distance. They tend to kept it,、uh, kept a distance from violence. And the power of these rule breakers is mainly represented through their transgression, mainly through、uh, breaking the rules of their profession or violating the moral regulation or law. So these women seem to be quite progressive and empowered in their profession. However, they are still constrained at all levels. Making themselves show a retreatist attitude in the end, which is shown through a withdrawal、uh, from their profession at usually at a very critical moments. Well, these withdrawals usually、uh, express a sense of a free choice of women their own, but they actually reduce the women's level of professional power in the workplace. This is immensely interesting. I think next time I see a Chinese crime film, I'll be viewing them from a very different lens. You mainly study Chinese crime films, 
And do you think the representation of women in the Chinese films is different from the films from other contexts, such as other Asian countries or the films from Europe or the,、uh, the States? Personally, in my opinion, I do not think women in Chinese films are dramatically different from films produced in other countries. For instance, the role of a post victim. Which primarily depicts women's use of violence to defend themselves or for revenge after being victimized. In particular, the rape revenge genre, and this genre was very, very popular in Hollywood in 1980s and 1990s. And this genre is also marked by the discourse of、uh, like a idealized femininity, heterosexuality, victimhood. Purity and、uh, maternal devotion, as well as sexual availability and eroticism, and this genre is quite common in Asian contexts as well as in Hollywood contexts. And another type we call it a femme fatale, and this term is originally a French term referring to dead women or lethal women, like a female killer, boss girl. And I think a lot of feminist、uh, film scholars might be familiar with this term. And this archetype has widely appeared in both Western and、uh, Asian contexts even today. So, sharing a mutual influence by our Confucian values, both Korean films and the Chinese films widely represent the female archetypes of a, a mother, a single mother, or female carer, housewife, etc. And these stereotypical representations of women actually share lots of similar characteristics, such as being tolerant, soft, tender. And caring, etc. So, although these different cultural elements are definitely involved in these、uh, film productions created in different、uh, countries and in different cultural contexts, I still believe we share a lot of things in common. And some of your latest research is into、uh, audio dramas. <laughs> From previously, we're studying films, and now we're studying audio dramas. And it's also about like boys' li-、uh, love.、Mm-hmm. And what has led to this transition? Into your recent studies, that is another long story. I have been a BL fan for more than decade, starting with reading the original novels and then watching the web dramas, and now being an active fan of、uh, BL audio drama. And the main feature of this genre attracting me is I was so tired of reading and watching the homogeneous representations of women in romance, either the、uh, Cinderella style or Snow White style and the Little Mermaid style. I was trying to seek something new, something different, and then BL stories can provide many diverse and crisp and anti-stereotypical characteristics and types of、uh, relationships. Or,、uh, for instance, in the BL world, it's perfectly common for a couple with very equal relationship between them. They are depending on each other rather than one always depending on the other. And also, we can easily find. A man having a feminine appearance does not mean he is very weak or vulnerable, and it's also okay for a muscle guy to cry when he is he feels truly sad. And these depictions and representations are definitely not consistent with the traditional code, gender codes, but it can help us to get rid of these shackles of、uh, gender expression of、uh, stereotypes. And it can also bring us a wider spectrum to see the relationship not only within the Couples, but also the relationship with people and beyond. And、uh, BL stands for boys' love, and in Chinese, it has a very particular term.、Mm-hmm. Is it like、um, dan 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 mei? Yes. Okay. 
And uh, pardon my ignorance, because I, I haven't really tapped into this world, but uh, how did the Chinese like boys love culture mm-hmm. emerge? And is it very popular nowadays? It's very super super popular. And uh, mm-hmm. the uh, actually the Chinese bell culture came definitely came from Japanese manga in uh, the 1970s, and now the bell culture in China has already developed its own identity, and it has already achieved a successful uh, appearance much with our a diverse range of local and global media engaging with the uh, transnational and the transmedia all-inclusive uh, fan culture and celebrity culture. So Chinese BL stories appear in a very wide range of media formats, including uh, online literature, manga, anime, games, audio drama, uh, MV, songs, and cosplay. And uh, in China, which is completely different from Japan, the BL culture in Japan usually uh, come from manga. However, in Chinese context, uh, the major narratives of BL come from in the form of online literature. So online literature is regarded as one of the most rapid growing business and a vibrant space in the internet industry and has become a primary source for many TV series, TV shows, and the film to adapt. So apart from online uh, literature, BL adapted web drama has also obtained a huge grossing success, especially during the year of uh, 2018 and 2021. However, after the 2021 internet clear-up campaign, this media form has been completely removed from the major uh, streaming media platforms. And uh, this action, this campaign, makes the audio drama as the currently most promising media form of BL stories. So in the mid-2000s, some reputable audio drama societies were found and uh, productions were extended to adaptations of online drama and uh, comics, uh, uh, anime, etc. And uh, a lot of uh, BL novelists were largely willing to authorize audio dramas based on their own stories and uh, their actions facilitated the script writing of uh, audio dramas. And uh, we can talk a little bit about uh, character voice. We call it a CV. And the CV becomes the star and the foreign-grounded role who can attract fans and draw media traffic. So based on their growing uh, commercial impact and value, some very famous and reputable CVs started to run their own business to form their own society and uh, studio. And they are closely collaborating with the dominant audio drama applications such as Miss Evans, Bauer, and uh, Manbo. Although the state censorship against BL stories did not leave the audio drama untouched, at least for now, this media form is still existing. They still survive. They're surviving and they're still running with the explicit depictions of homosexual romance. Uh, the character voice CV mm-hmm. uh, in Chinese is Sheng Yu? Yes. Or, ah, all right. Yeah, this world is uh, super new to me, but uh, I'll be down to listening to some maybe after this conversation. Yes. But um, this boys love audio drama still is considered like a subculture or counterculture in China, right? Yes, yes, I think so. How does this like uh, audio drama plays a part as the counterculture in China? Um, counterculture has been capitalized as a kind of culture that uh, is oxidating the mass culture and uh, middle-class adult culture and values, and particularly uh, involve criticism and uh, rejection of dominant powers and the institutions. 
So I tend to believe the BO subculture can play a part of the queer community as a kind of counterculture because the term queer usually marks a flexible space for the expression of all aspects of non-straight cultural productions and receptions. So in my finished and ongoing project studying BL audio drama, we surprisingly found a significant amount of audience and the creators are not straight. Many producers joined this community as fans in the very beginning. Then they started to create their own story content and became producers after years. And there,、uh, this engagement of uh, uh, BL audio drama producers and the consumers featured a sense of、uh, countering the predominant hetero. Normativity by producing explicit、uh, homosexual romance, they actively extend their story elements in through their、uh, transmedia practices, and they also bring the queer members into this community. So in this way, the BL audio drama community has been built by both consumers and the producers together, and this area is no longer a female-only area, but becomes a more inclusive space constituted by people with diverse gender and sexual identity, as well as sexuality and the sexual orientations. So we believe uh, the uh, BL audio drama community can be seen as a countercultural group because it has a certain potential. To bridge the divide between the female-led、uh, BL subculture to the、uh, larger queer community, this all sounds very promising. But you also just mentioned that, for example, in 2021, there's the Internet Clear Up campaign from the Chinese authorities. So, what exactly is the role of the Chinese state in this, like, queer media cultural production and the queer culture and queer community in China? This question、uh, is closely related to my another article that I published in the、uh, International Journal of Cultural Studies this year, and that project、uh, is collaborated with my colleague Liang at King's College London.、Uh, in that project,、uh, we examine the tension between public gender expression and official regulations, and we call the authoritative strategy as reticent politics. Which acts as the state strategy to respond to the perceived phenomenon of a crisis of masculinity. So, as the BL content is frequently associated with male-to-male eroticism and male effeminacy, it has been facing a upgraded censorship after 2021. And the state, the authorities, tend to first invisibilize and marginalize the soft masculinities, and if not efficient. They might be suppressing and bending the cultural forms that violate the hegemonic masculinities, and this strategy works to reinforce the heteronormativity and the heteropatriarchal social system. And this strategy also reflects the fact that the non-normative BL culture and the male effeminacy sensibility have become too visible, too invisibilized, and marginalized due to the Enormity of uh, uh, participants and the transgressive power existing in it. And、uh, theoretically, you've been engaging a lot with the feminist theories in your research. Personally, I'm also very curious. Like, how do you apply these type of theories that are normally originated from the Western context onto the Chinese、uh, subjects of studies? First of all, I think many gender issues they are universal, such as 
uh, gender-based violence and uh, unequal power dynamic and uh, limited opportunity for women in various in various spheres and areas. And uh, I think Western feminist theories often address these common concerns, and these concerns can resonate with Chinese women who are facing toward similar challenge and problems. And secondly, uh, I may like to talk about the intersectionality. I think this term and concept is quite familiar uh, to a lot of uh, uh, feminist and gender scholars. This concept is widely discussed in Western uh, feminist theories and emphasizing the interconnection between interconnections of different forms of uh, oppression including like a, a class, race, gender, etc. And this lens can be applied into Chinese context to analyze how these factors, such as uh, ethnicity and uh, social classes, economic status, as well as the rural and urban divide, how these factors intersect with the gender issues and how these factors can reflect or shape women's experience on a daily basis. And thirdly, about the media and representations. The discussion uh, within the Western feminist series about media representations, objectifications, stereotypes, these problems are relatively global phenomena. And applying these series into Chinese media can help us to criticize and challenge the stereotypical portrayal of women that uh, express the sense of inequality. And uh, the final thing is, just as Western feminist series have a challenge the traditional gender uh, norms in the West, they can also use the, to challenge the uh, traditional Confucian-based norm that have influenced the gender role in China for a long time. However, I think as a scholar, it's quite important for us to, to be aware that um, the application of Western feminist theory in, into Chinese context need to articulate the sensibility and the local cultural awareness. We, we all know that China, uh, we have our own historical, cultural, and uh, social dynamic that shape our gender role and expectations. And uh, some feminist concepts might need to be adapted to align with the uh, local uh, voices and uh, cultural norms and the values. It's quite important to hear the local, vo- uh, local uh, voices. For me, in my opinion, I believe the academic significance here is to locate the overlapping space when the feminist thoughts from different cultural contexts can share. Meanwhile, it's necessary for us to find out the, this parent of different contexts for further exploration, where we can uh, work together to uh, work out together about how we can deal with this disparity and move toward a better condition of gender equality. Definitely. This has been very inspiring. And even for my own research, I also have a Chinese focus. And what you're saying, it's really uh, illuminating for me. Like this is part of the effort, what we call like the westernizing the media and communication studies. And also like the context really do matter. And I don't want to take too much of your time. So uh, before we go, I will have this one last question, uh, which is what are some of the current projects you're working on? Current research projects I'm working on mainly focus on the English speakers, English speaking fans of Chinese BL stories because I recently found the Chinese BL stories have a truly large number of followers overseas and a significant impact on the international fandom community. 
I'm keenly interested in their perceptions, their、uh, operational for transmedia practices, their ways of engaging in this space. And uh, uh, in this way, I think I, I myself, I would like to see BL is a thing that demonstrating、uh, its own cultural significance. By reflecting on the challenge in the traditional cultural norm and the social expectations in relation to gender, sexuality, relationships, and、uh, these discussions has already sparked a lot of heated debate around sexual identity, gender identity, and、uh, representations, as, as well as. A broader range of LGBT-related issues, and we believe it is able to make it relevant to the broader cultural conversations in global wide. Oh, wish you the best of luck with this study. It sounds super interesting, and we look forward to having you back uh, once uh, to share more of the research results of these studies. And Tingting, so thank you so much again for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me here. It's really happy to talk to you today. And to our listeners, you can connect with Tingting and me through email and Twitter. We'll be sharing the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast. <laughs>